It's good to be with you here tonight. I am uh, happy to let you know that we are starting a new message series this evening. And the series is called Lies and... Well, actually, the series is called Stones and Bones. And the uh, foundations are unearthing faith foundations. And tonight's message of that series is called Lies and Ruins. And as I was thinking about this message, uh, I had to chuckle because I was thinking about this idea of uh, lies, and we're going to talk a lot about Satan's lies today and, and how sometimes Satan's lies get kind of caught in the background noise. We hear it so much, we hear it so often that it just kind of fades into the background and we might not pay much attention to it. And uh, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about we just moved into a new house back in April, April-May time frame. And uh, we weren't really aware of it at the time, but our new house had steam heat or has steam heat. Anybody here experienced steam heat? Have you had that in your house or apartment or anything like that? What does steam heat do? What does it sound like? Psh, bang, 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 bang. All stinking day long. <laughs> but the thing is, as we got used to it, as, as we would hear it over and over and over again, suddenly the noise would just kind of fade into the background and we wouldn't pay attention to it anymore. Uh, even, even when the heat comes on at 6 o'clock in the morning and we hear that hissing and the banging and now it just kind of fades in the background. And actually we had forgotten about it and how loud it is until we had some new tenants move in just a couple of w- days ago actually. And uh, they called or actually they sent me an email and, and said... Is there something we can do about the heat? And I, I'm thinking, well, you know, it's because their apartment's too hot, which their apartment is really, really warm. Um, but no, it wasn't the heat. It was the noise. It was the hissing and the banging. And I said, no, there's not a lot we can do about it. It just will eventually fade into the background and you won't hear it anymore. But the same is true. Um, as we're thinking about uh, th- these lies in ruins, uh, the, the, it's kind of a double meaning, of, you know, both laying in ruins, but also the lies that have gotten us into ruins and the lies that keep us in ruins. And the lies that Satan tells us are that, that same kind of hissing and, and banging at our, our, our person that, that maybe at one point in our lives we were very attuned to, And when we would hear that lie, we would say, you know what, that is a lie of the evil one. And we wouldn't pay any attention to it, or we would disregard it, or we would, uh, you know, tell Satan to go away. But somehow in our lives, we've gotten accustomed to that hissing and that banging, and and maybe we just need to be retuned and hear with new ears or or look with new eyes at God's Word and, and see what these lies are and how they affect us in our daily life. We are entering into the season of Lent, wonderful season in the church year. It's a time of reflection, often a time of repentance. Uh, We didn't have our confession time today because our message is going to be a little bit shorter, and then we've got several stations set up around the room, and one special station that will be up on the screen that we are going to uh, immerse ourselves into God's Word and take some time to reflect and repent 
and think about these lies that uh, we might be dealing with today and interact with some of these stations. So that's coming up in just a minute. We want to spend some time in God's Word first in this idea of lies and ruins, lies that ruin the perfect creation. We're going to take a moment to look at Adam and Eve and how some of their actions ruined uh, what God set up. Uh, how lies continue to ruin our lives today. And if we're not careful, these lies can also ruin our eternal destiny. And so we want to spend some time looking at that. And we're going to be in two particular parts of the Bible. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And then we're also going to be in Romans chapter 5. And as we're going through this Lent series of Stones and Bones, Unearthing Faith Foundations... What we're using as our outline is the lectionary. Some of you might be very familiar with the lectionary. Some of you, may this may be very foreign to you. But the lectionary is just a way that the scriptures are laid out throughout the church year in a three-year cycle to basically get the whole word of God. And today, I think, is a beautiful example of how the lectionary works and draws all the scriptures together. In fact, if you look in your notes section in your bulletin, where it says message and discussion notes, you'll see some scriptures listed there. The Hebrew Bible, Genesis 2 and 3, the Psalms 32, the epistles from Romans chapter 5, and then the New Testament passages from Matthew 4. And what this does, I think, in a very beautiful way, is it lines out what some of you that are familiar with kind of the postmodern lingo know this word, the the meta-narrative, the the big story from beginning to end, the story that kind of encompasses all of God's plan, starts way back in Genesis, goes all through the First Testament, into the Second Testament, the New Testament, and through Revelation. And so... This message today, when we, we're going to start in Genesis and see where it all begins. And then during our response time, we're going to spend some time meditating on a really cool uh, a video loop um, talking about this 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness. And we're going to go to there. And then we're going to look at Paul's notes in, in Romans and how he ties this all together and talks about the first Adam that fell into temptation and the second Adam of Jesus Christ that didn't fall into temptation. So it's going to be a great message today, um, not because it's mine, but because it's from the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, we're going to start in Genesis. And uh, you'll, you'll see in your bulletin that the reading for today actually starts in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And basically what that talks about is how God created this beautiful place called the Garden of Eden. And he takes humanity, this person Adam, this person Eve, and sets them into the Garden of Eden. Now, let me just point out from the beginning here, whether you consider, you're one of the type of people that consider uh, the, the creation account of Genesis 1 through 4 as a literal retelling of what God actually did, a literal six-day creation, whether you're in that camp or you've chosen to look at it as more of an allegory. It's a story. It's telling how God created. And whether you're in either camp, both of these camps can really take away the message and look at how I think that God speaks to us, whether we believe it's literal truth or or an allegorical story of how creation happened. So maybe kind of set some of your predispositions aside for just a moment. And uh, let's look 
after uh, chapter 2, when God talks about creating this perfect garden of Eden, setting humanity in it, and telling them all you have to do is tend it and keep it, and the only thing you can't do is eat of the tree of the fruit in the middle of the, or fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. That's the only thing you can't do. Then we get into Genesis chapter 3. And this is the story of this serpent. We find out throughout Scripture that uh, the serpent is also called the, the great liar, the father of lies, the great deceiver, the accuser. We sometimes call him Satan. And the serpent approaches Eve and asks her a question. What did God say? What did God tell you? And Eve says, well, we can eat of any tree in the garden except for the one tree in the middle of the garden. And if we eat of that tree, we'll die. And I like to point out that we're going to focus on three lies that Satan says. Well, two that Satan says and one as a result of uh, all that happens that I think we tell ourselves. The first lie that Satan says when Eve points out that we may eat of any tree in the garden except for one, and if we eat of that one, we'll die. Satan responds in chapter 3, verse 4. And he says this. He says, the serpent says to the woman, you will not, what? You will not die. Satan's first lie. And just like the, the hissing and the banging of the steam radiator that sometimes fades into the distance, I think... We've got the hissing of Satan here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, that I think kind of fades into the background. But we need to realize that that lie is still around today. It's perpetuating all throughout history and into our modern times. You will not die. We say that all the time, whether we know it or not. We say it in our actions mostly. Because if we truly believed that if we sinned, we would die, we'd probably have a much harder time sinning. Now, I'm coming to you as, as, you know, like Paul says, the chiefest of sinners, okay? I'm not saying that my life is all together and that I'm perfect. So, this lie, I think, results from the fact that we don't die physically when we sin. And see, that's not what Scripture is talking about. That's not what, what God was talking about when He said that you will die. He's not saying that you will die immediately. That the moment you sin, you're going to fall over dead. But I think what God is saying is that He set it up so that we could enjoy fellowship with God forever. And that if we should sin... There will come a time where that life with God will end and that we will die spiritually. The second lie comes in the very next verse. The serpent says to Eve, God knows that when you eat of it, when you eat of this fruit in the midst of the garden, that your eyes will be opened. And you will be like what? God. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
that lie perpetuates all the way through to today. A lot of times, we, when, the way we hear that lie, that you will be like God, not many people say to us, well, you know, if you eat the tree or if you sin, you're going to be like God. That's not a lie that we hear. No, it comes more in the way of we're all good people. We don't have, there's nothing wrong with us. We don't sin. There's no such thing as sin. Or, or you have to commit a really bad sin in order for, for it to be sin. But see, that's, that's not what Scripture says. It's not the truth of God. See, Scripture talks about there is one righteous, and that one is God. And as much as we try the best that we can to, to be righteous, God's level for what we need, where we need to be in order to be with Him forever and all eternity is complete perfection. The Bible says that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I say that I am one of those people I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you see, the problem is when, when we say that we haven't sinned, we're saying that we are like God. That we're perfect. And if we say that, what we do is we take what God has done through Jesus Christ and we throw it away and say it's not, it's not necessary. See, because if I'm not a sinner, if I have no sin, then I don't need a Savior. And so imagine, if you will, for just a moment, as difficult as this thought experiment will be, to put yourself in the place of God, to put yourself in the place of Jesus Christ. Because Scripture talks about Jesus being the voice of God and in the, the Godhead as it describes the different parts, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it often describes Christ as the, the voice of God, the one that spoke forth creation. So that God, the God of all creation, became creation. So that He could make the way. So He could right the wrong. And he says, and when he comes, that he takes our yoke, our burden on him. Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. And so Christ takes those wages or takes the requirement of the law on himself. And we, when we say we have no need for God's forgiveness because we don't sin when we say we have no need for Christ. It's a slap in the face of Christ, just like the Roman soldiers who beat him. So Satan says you will not die. He says you will be like God. And the third lie that I think we perpetuate 
The third lie that Adam and Eve started so many years ago was this idea that somehow we can cover over our own shortcomings, our own sin. It's found later in chapter 3, specifically in verse 7, after they go and they, they hide from God because they eat of the fruit and God's, or they realize that they are naked and God comes looking for them to have fellowship with them. Verse 7 says that they went and they sowed fig leaves together to cover over their nakedness. They, verse 7 says the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. And then they sewed the fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. And the funny, I think it's funny. The funny part about this is I think it's very, it's a very vivid picture because has anybody ever felt fig leaves, like ones that you just pick off the, the, the fig tree? Um, they're kind of scratchy on the backside. And so often, I think this, this picture is true, that so often when we try to, to make our own coverings, make a way to cover up our own sin, it chafes. <laughs> and I think that's what's happening here in this example that Adam and Eve did. They tried to make their own coverings, cover up their own sin, and pretty much it just chafes. But you see, the beautiful thing, if you are, are, are a person that's struggling with this whole idea of, of sin and that I'm a sinner and that there's this, there's this problem that all of humanity has called sin, and you might be thinking, no, I, I don't agree with that, that we're all good people. Well, let me tell you the good news. The good news is, is that in spite of the sin, in spite of the, our shortcomings, in spite of our failings, we don't need to wear or put coverings over us that are going to chafe. That God has prepared a way. The example and the picture that he uses goes all the way back to Genesis, where in verse 21 of chapter 3, it talks about what God did for Adam and Eve. It says, The Lord God made garments of what? Skins for the man and his wife and clothed them. See, God made the covering for them. And I think it's very important that we realize that he made it out of what? Skins. Which means that there had to be some kind of a sacrifice. Those skins came from animals that were sacrificed to make the coverings. It's the, it's the, the foreshadowing of the entire Jewish ritual of sacrifice to atone for sin. Which is, of course, the foreshadowing of the perfect sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ that paid the ultimate price and covers the sin of all of humanity. Before we go to our response time, I, I, I love to tie this all together and just read to you so you can, you can either listen to these words or read them up on the screen. Uh, you can look at them in your Bibles if you'd like. Uh, we're going to read from Romans chapter 5, but let me just tell you that the version that I'm going to read from is a little bit different than the Bibles that are on the floor. 
I personally like the way the New Living Translation uh, translates this particular section of Scripture in Matthew 5, verses 15 through 19. See, Paul ties it all together. And he says, yes, Adam sinned, but God provided a way. There's a first Adam who is a foreshadowing of the second Adam, the second person that is Christ. So let's read together Romans chapter 5, verses 15 through 19. Paul says to the Romans, But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, Many will be made righteous.